Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we'll look at Soda, a data monitoring platform designed to ensure the integrity and fitness of your data right in the application stream. All that and more on this episode of the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every single episode is my fuel-efficient co-host, Brandon Johnson. How are you doing today, buddy? Doing great. I'm really looking forward to this interview, so I can't wait to dive right in. Well, I don't know about you, but after 24 episodes, coming up with a random adjective to describe your awesomeness is just getting harder. So maybe we can crowdsource the next one? As long as I have veto power. <laughs> Request denied. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have a packed show for you today. So let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors before we dive into today's conversation. Our first sponsor is DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. DigitalOcean is investing heavily into their marketplace offerings for their app platform. The app platform is the easiest way to build, deploy, and scale your apps quickly with their fully managed solution. They handle the infrastructure. You worry about writing the code. You can deploy code from your GitHub or GitLab repositories, host up to three static websites for free, or one of many one-click applications to help make managing your application stack easier. Check out the DigitalOcean app platform today by going to do.co slash DLN. As a listener of the Pseudo Show, you can get your own $100 credit to get started with all these amazing features. Thank you to DigitalOcean for being a sponsor of the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. We couldn't share these incredible conversations with each other without the help from our second sponsor, Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can get started today for free by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden isn't just a great open source password manager. Now they offer Bitwarden Send, a secure way to share information directly with anyone. You can now encrypt passwords, financial or legal documents, or even code and send them without fear of interception. Send utilizes E2E encryption and is available on all clients from the web vault to mobile and even the CLI. Not only that, but Bitwarden regular release posts to their blog about security, best practices, breaches, and more. Head on over to bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started today for free and start securing your passwords. When you see how amazing your service is, we're sure you'll want to sign up for the premium plan for just $10 a year. That's bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thank you to Bitwarden for being an amazing sponsor of the Pseudo Show. One of our listeners told us about a data monitoring tool that really caught our attention. It really fills a gap, a need in our industry. But instead of just talking about it, we got introduced to the team of Soda and really hit it off. So we decided to bring them on the show. So guys, welcome to the Pseudo Show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, hi both. Thanks for uh, having us on the call. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Yeah, let's, uh, let's go around the room and everybody say hello. What do you do? And we'll go from there. Hi both. Thanks for having us. I'm Tom. I'm a co-founder of... Uh, Soda and CTO. I started as a software engineer building a workflow engine because the existing products at the time were dreadful. And I started uh, when I, yeah, that actually started when I accidentally pushed it uh, as an open source project. And then it caught on. Considered myself very lucky having founded two open source communities, of which one ended up at Red Hat. Even. I definitely recommend anyone to get involved in open source. Uh, it's just awesome. Then I transitioned to, to a data engineer uh, because data 
for me was like the wild west in software land nowadays. And so now I'm at Soda, I'm driving the open source strategy and making sure that the data engineers love using our product. I've got to ask, what was the, what's the community that's now at Red Hat? That was the JBPM project, oh, which great. got through JBoss into yeah. Red Hat. Cool. That's awesome. I'm Martin. I'm a co-founder and CEO. Part of the reason, I think, why Tom is in the data management and kind of data engineering world today. So, but I started my career at a data governance and cataloging company. So like the search for your data in the organization. That was back in 2011. My company is called Colibra. And yeah, I was there for, for, for six years and now at Soda. So we've been around for three years and really focusing on kind of the, the go-to-market of the company around the products, especially as it relates to kind of the experience for, for data owners. It's great to meet you both. And, and you know, once again, welcome, welcome to the show. How did the two of you meet? How did this conversation get started? All right. So we have to take you back a couple of years. And basically, I've talked about like earlier, I was this company called Calibra, right? And I think one of the biggest struggles there was, was all about like aligning people that are in the business that knew the data very well with people that were very good at uh, manipulating or querying data, uh, more of the kind of the technical slash engineering side. And at the time, we solved that gap prominently through collaboration tooling, read workflows. So you can guess how Tom and I met. In the kind of back then in, in the engineering team of, of Colibra, Tom was, you know, he was kind of considered a, a legend in the workflow space. We were using his open source software as part of the products. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, you know, I'm on this trip to London. So there's a Eurostar, there's a train from, from Belgium, Brussels, that goes also from Paris, but it goes to, to London. And one of my colleagues spots him. Which was like very just like I know this guy. Uh, Tom was sitting there coding away on on the train, and uh, you know we started talking, and ultimately that the rest is history. That's great. So I, I've been trying to figure out where where did the name Soda come from. I'm guessing uh, D stands for data, but I thought I'd ask. <laughs> Everyone thinks it's an acronym. It's not. Uh -huh. It's not. Okay. It's, uh, basically. What, what happened in like uh, very like beginnings of the company, we had a working title, we definitely weren't happy. And then we did some exercises, ended up like with a, with a Californian team that's helping us out still today for loads of stuff. And they were doing naming exercises and we kind of caught on to this, hey, you know, we bubble up data issues, we bubble up problems in, in, in data. So why not go with soda? And that's how it all started. We loved it. It was catchy. We kind of added that bubbly thing into our logo and that's how it all started. Makes sense. Cool. So from a, you know, the way, the way I interpreted Soda when this was first introduced was, you know, another piece of software for monitoring for in the monitoring space, you know, very crowded space, especially in cloud-based monitoring software, whether if it's software as a service or, or, or otherwise. So, but Soda's different. I mean, you're focusing not on application or infrastructure, you're focusing on the data. Uh, like, describe to our audience, like, what would you say is your core functionality and what value are you trying to bring to your customers? Yep. I, I'll start off by saying, like, I like immediately, so the analogies indeed in core kind of components of, of products today, of software today is, is infrastructure, 
application, right? And we do a monitoring, application performance monitoring as well. And what's happening is we're automating with, with data. So it's not really just the software anymore. There's a new component to the stack. And that component is a bit more complicated than the other ones. Uh, because there's a lot of stakeholders involved in the creation of data, but also in the transformation and delivery of data. So our subject really is uh, a data set, whereas it could be an EC2 container on, a, on an infra monitoring, for example. And we apply many similar tactics, ultimately. So it's instrumentation, for example, of a, of a data set. It could be like running aggregate functions on it, uh, checking for like a missing, uh, how much missing data do we have per columns or what's the row count? And all of that data creates observability, which you can then do like automations around or, or testing on ultimately. That's how I would, from a high level, describe it myself. Tommy, anything you want to expand on, on, the, on that? Yeah, definitely. I think in general, the, the core functionality is around protecting these uh, data products, as we call them, which is like a data product is a piece of software that continuously uses a flow of data, like an incoming flow. Recommendation algorithm is a good example or a machine learning model. Like each time you want to use the new fresh data to actually feed into that algorithm and then, and then use that as the basis for that, for that software algorithm. Now, if something goes really wrong with that data, then you can see that the software just keeps on working. It doesn't crash, but it's just as bad. And all bad things, loads of bad things can happen as a, as a result of that. All kinds of damages, if you don't detect this yourself, but if it flows through and if your recommendations are off, we know that, for instance, Amazon has like 35% of their revenue through recommendations. So if that data goes bad, they have a serious problem. And so that's that's essentially the core of what we do is making sure that you can monitor this and that you know as firsthand that something to, needs to be fixed and something is off. And so, yep. So where, like in in the data flow, where where does Soda sit? Like I, I've been, I was I started playing with it probably a week week and a half ago. And you know, I, get, I just gave it a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a data set from a database I have, a Postgres database. Like it seems like it's after ingestion. Where does this uh, sit? Yeah. So the the best place to get started is in the warehouses right before it's used. That's where we see typically it being used and where people get started being used being then by the data products. But the advice is, of course, to go as far upstream as possible, like right after you land the data. That's where it totally makes sense to already start, start checking your inputs. And then as you go through every transformation, the data engineers, they each time as they are building their transformation, that's when they have the full context of what they ex what are their concrete expectations of the inputs and what are simple checks they can add towards their outputs. And so all these individual checks is what they can add throughout the whole series of, of their pipeline. And then at the end in the warehouses where you can continue these, these monitors. Okay, so not like it's not happening at the at the transformation, it's definitely happened right when it lands into the into the data warehouse, and and then you can say, oh, this that we're missing, that this is malformed, like this is not, doesn't match what it's supposed to be. Is that that did I get that correct? Exactly. Think of it as, on the one hand, you know, we'll collect statistics and information, 
uh, to figure out and then store that historically to figure out if there's something completely off across core quality of fitness dimensions. I think like the, the completeness of that data set, your row counts over time. Uh, that's very indicative of if there's a big spike, there's a problem or like a big schema change all of a sudden. Like uh, that can cause a lot of trouble. So those things that I to do as much automatically as possible. And then you can start each time you transform data, you can actually start testing it. And as Tom said, like focus on, on SQL first, but the further upstream, the better really, because if, if data starts flowing through and it's bad, you know, all the things downstream, the cleanup becomes really, really messy and a lot of work. So that's why we're now working with some, some very cool companies on, for example, sort of for, for Kafka. Right. So how do we do this in maybe like with a Flink application, for example, that will start collecting. So we started there, but that's definitely not our end all be all. Got it. That, that answers a ton of questions because I'm like, oh, I can plug into SQL or Cassandra or no, you know, no, no, you know, some sort of NoSQL database. But I, I definitely would see value in monitoring Kafka bus, right? And making sure that Kafka, the data in Kafka that's being ingested into the warehouse is actually sound. One of the things that caught my eye is I come from a background in working in healthcare and getting data in on time is critical. I mean, it's the difference, you know, in, in the case of like a health insurance in the United States, it's the difference of getting a payment out or, and uh, so this caught my eye on your website. So maybe explain this a bit more because I haven't dove into this, but like how, how does it correlate? Like, oh, the data did not, it took this long for the data to arrive. Like, how does this correlate? How does that correlate that? Yep. We have to peel back the onion a bit because, uh, for example, if we take a, the SQL example, I think is always an, an interesting one to start off with. Like, how can you, without any configuration, figure out if data is late? Well, data is late. There's two ways already there. Data can be just late because we looked at it historically when it arrives. And then we see that let's rethink a lot longer, for example, today or in this hour of data that we're refreshing. There's another thing of data needs to arrive by 8 a.m. in the morning for a certain process to start. That one, of course, is business logic. That's something that typically we see users define in our app. However, for uh, SQL data sources, how we tackle that is you look at your query log table, for example, in Snowflake, and there you can start seeing on that table, where do we insert new records here? What's that interval? And then start mapping that out and, and leveraging some anomaly detection to figure out if things are, are really off or maybe you're missing data. So that's kind of the, in, in the SQL world, it's a, that, that's one of, the, one of the approaches. And we, even on data lakes, you can propagate that. Like if you have a, a file arriving on your, on your data lake, maybe a partition of data, you could just say, hey, this arrival event is, is exactly that same thing that we have in, in a kind of our SQL log. So we can, you just have to each time implement it for the given technology, really the same concept. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what, what about like integrating with, sorry, Eric, I'm, I'm monopolizing this, but <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. This is, this is kind of your thing. I, so I just, I, I just noticed you're like just sitting there, but so integration. So I, I, one of the things I want to ask about is like, cause you brought up event correlation. I think this is really important. Like integrating with uh business logic tooling, like drools, something like that. I could see being very valuable here. 
Like, is that something that you're doing or working on or something, or is there an easy way to really make that integration happen? Yeah. So what we're, what we're doing for is, is basically we're, we're having to deal with all of the different ways in which we uh, store data or compute data. So each of these different data sources. And so what we're now predominantly focused on is having a, a very easy configuration language type of layer on top of all of that. So that if you want to do something like freshness or uh, completeness of data or validity, or that you have one language to do that, a simple structure. And that's really where we then start layering up even on top of that in our user interface. We allow people who don't even want to go to the level of the YAML, which is the technology we picked in this case for the configuration files. I, I don't want to go and edit the configuration file. I actually just want to set that up in the UI with some you know controls and some drag and drop maybe. That's kind of the... Our language, or DSL, if you will, is, is predominantly YAML, and that's uh, something we've completely open sourced and, and are now extending with many different functions to make it more specific to a certain industry or a certain use case. You're, so that that's fascinating. Like, so can I, try, now I'm trying to think of a question around this. Now, I, I'm going to, I want to think about that and come back to, to it. So... One of the things that really caught my attention with this, I have been dealing with being in operations and also uh, stint as a developer for a while, incomplete or malformed data due to crap code, for lack of a better term. Like alert, getting react, like reacting and alerting to to these changes is important. I actually wrote a little set of Ruby, a little Ruby application to just check if data flowing into an Oracle database was, was actually complete. <laughs> and it sounds like soda, if it existed back then would have covered that use case. And, and the fact that I, I'm just surprised that no one's done it at this scale, right? Because data you know, data, what, what the, the saying is data is new, new oil, right? You need to be able to actually use it in ways to monetize. And incomplete data is garbage, essentially. So it sounds like, basically the question is, it sounds like this would have covered my use case. And I still see it all the time, right? Poorly written applications that, in, that bring in, that allow garbage data coming in like whether if it's like some sort of form or whatever, just mistyped and it still just allows it to come in and screws up your queries. It can, like it's stuff that it like bad characters that can actually screw up your queries. So that that's really interesting. And how, like one of the things that I'd like to understand a bit more is how could a soda catch that? Like if it sees that like a bad character that is being inputted into the database, how can it catch it? Like I'm thinking uh, right now, I'm thinking instead of being reactive, being proactive, right? In terms of monitoring. Yep. No, I think I'd like to give a first stab at that because yeah, basically Soda builds up its picture of what good data looks like from different sources. So one of the first sources is automation. And I think that's what you hinted at. It's like, we are going to just look at the data 
we're going to try and analyze some uh, machine learning on that. And then we build up like a picture of this is normal data. So when something is totally abnormal, it might be bad. So that's one source, but that's not the only source. There's companies focused only on that, for instance. We think like if you want to protect your data products and keep trust in it, you need to combine several approaches. And so the second place where we're going to get input on what does good data look like is from the data engineers. As they build their transformations, as I just mentioned, they know like what the inputs are that they expect and what the outputs are. And so those checks are also saying along the pipeline, like what is good data and what is bad data. And then, so that also needs to be continuously checked. And then the third place uh, source of what is good data and bad data comes from the analysts and the subject matter experts. They have the domain knowledge. They know the business inside out. And so, but that's like different groups of people. And I think uh, Martin can definitely elaborate on that, but that really highlights where I think we excel, where we invested a lot of time to make sure that these different type data roles in the data team Basically, they are quite distinct and there is not a single solution that fits these different use cases. So subject matter experts often have a lot less technical knowledge than the data engineers building the pipeline. Data engineers, they really want to check in their validations together with their code, like YAML files, for instance. So their workflow is completely different. And so what we focused on a lot is to make sure that we that this these two worlds can be integrated so but then yeah just to finish off the first story is like we first build up a good a, day, a picture of what good data looks like from these different sources basically that's great if i may add to that like your the the issue that you had there there if we do three things we're going to catch it like again back to that row counts like if you there will be character messing up with your your query you will see that in the volume of data because it will break off there for example or something might happen at that point you will see it in the schema because sometimes when that happens it adds another column or like something changes to the schema of it and then thirdly one of the things that we always do in like when we first look at the data the the analyze phase we we profile it and we we try to type it semantically as much as possible. So, oh, this is a US daytime, this is a, you know, a general text field or like whatever it is, we try to map that as much as possible to what we can what we have defined in, in the kind of prepackaged types. And then we just keep on monitoring that validity over time. And those are like with these three ways you definitely would have caught, uh, caught that issue. Got it. That's awesome. I I, I want to wrap up on the on the product then I want to switch over to open source. Your, your open source bits. And I'll let Erica ask a couple questions. <laughs> so the right now, so does seem, you know, is, you know, you start, you know, like you said, starting with a sequel. I mean, that that's a given. I mean, sequels everywhere. What, uh, and aside from what you mentioned with Kafka, what other data sources are you bringing into the product? Yeah, so the, the third one, or let's say the first one is SQL. The second one is going to be Spark, so the Spark, because that's where we see, like, that's the primary technology on how people connect to their data lake. And then that actually is quite, how to say, quite straightforward wrapper around SQL, because we can leverage SQL in the Spark environment. We basically 
take the data frame in, in a Spark session, and then we run that as a table. We expose that as a table to sort of SQL, which means that the same YAML configuration files that you're using in sort of SQL can now be run on a, on a data frame. That's, that's the, the next step that we're taking there. And that's actually a pretty easy low-hanging fruit for us, given what we have. And then the third one is, uh, as you mentioned, the streaming uh, applications. So Kafka is one of them, but of course, we're going to write it uh, so that other technologies, other streaming technologies can be connected to it as well. I like that, that it's agnostic. That, that's fantastic. That's, that's really cool. And now that we're on the topic of open source, I just like, again, like it, it feels uh, so good to have the initial uh, traction again, having the kudos. And so that's why actually I recommended in the beginning, like people should get involved into open source and having experienced the, the launch previously, I can better articulate and now I think like why people should do that. If you're, if you're building software for customers, it's often like a normal procedure and it goes quite slow, but I don't know why, but if you're in an open source community, then there's like a lot of engagement and a lot of kudos, pats on the back that you get and that might not seem like a big deal, but actually for developers, that's totally encouraging. Then you're like super motivated to get that bug fixed by the next morning when they're on their laptop and they see it's fixed and they get totally excited. That's, that ball keeps rolling and then the other side gets more excited too. So that works both ways. The kudos, I think, are, is almost more important than the money. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> yes. Because you, seeing your... See, seeing people using your code, using your product or project, it's not, you know, I try to differentiate between product and projects, you know, using your project makes, makes all the difference. Eric, I'll let you take the, the components question. Oh, thank you. Hey, Eric can co-host of the pseudo show. <laughs> I thought, thought I could see if I could jump into this press conference here. <laughs> The, the kudos, the open source community, that, that's what really drives uh, a lot of our audience. And, and having that enterprise spin on things gives us an interesting view of, like Brandon was talking about, having this product versus project view. And, and that's, that's one of the things that, that led us to, to having this conversation was Soda does seem to have, right out of the box, a dedication to open source and the community itself. So what parts of Soda are open source today? And do you have plans in the future to, to open source more of it? Obviously, you're building a business, right? And you're building a software's, software's service product. Like, so Soda SQL, I, I can do a lot of cool stuff with that independently. And that's without using your tooling, the, the SaaS. But so that's open source. Like what basically, I think the question is, Soda SQL is currently open source. What, like, like, if anything in the SaaS solution is going to be open or not, that, that's fine. I don't really like. And and if there's any any other tooling you're planning to bring out into the community, I think that's really the crux of the question. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think the, the main part of the answer is that the we are not the typical open source trajectory in that sense. And I, and I, let me elaborate a bit on that. 
like normal open source projects, they start off from the open source project itself first, get traction, and then these projects have a, and these companies behind it, they have a problem like, how are we going to monetize? And you're always trying to either cripple into the community and it's always like a lot of friction. And for us, like, we were always looking at open source. How can we leverage it? But it was not for us like it has to be open source from the start. We only um, went all in when we realized like, look, we can give the engineers a total value proposition on their own while at the same time having in the Soda cloud a platform that goes way beyond what the open source project does. It serves different audience in the organization. And so that makes it for us a lot easier to make that separation and also to be very clear about it that, look, as an engineer, this is something that you get in the uh, open source project. We can even extend that to a free cloud offering as long for all those use cases that extend the open source in terms of having a, a service that does the storage of the time series. So that historic values, visualizations, notifications, that's all part of a free extension to that as a, as a service. But then all the parts where it gets into the organization, into the collaboration part, those are the, where, we, where we monetize and where the value then becomes apparent for the, for the business itself. Well, and, and there's no right or wrong answer these days. There's, there's companies that have a community-driven project, there's, and then they have their, their enterprise offering. There's a focus on open core. You've got companies like Microsoft that started out completely proprietary that are now releasing tools and, and bits and pieces here and there to the open source community. There's, there's no right or wrong answer these days. In fact, I mean, even, even if everything that was built within Soto was proprietary, as long as the, the APIs, the hooks, things like that were open to source so that other people could build on those, could, could tie into those so that other, other people can see how to talk to Soda. Is, is of huge value to, to enterprise applications these days. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think one of the things that did it for me was we had so many discovery calls in the very early days, right? Speaking with heads of data, heads of data engineering, and they were all sharing, this is how we do it. Like, this is how we currently, for example, validate data. And nine out of 10 times, they're like, they're opening up a file somewhere, like this, this YAML or JSON structure, and I could already guess what was inside. <laughs> it was basically the logic, the time at which we're gonna we're gonna execute it. It's gonna be who we're gonna notify. Like it, it was always the same thing. And everyone was kind of building that homegrown. Everyone was starting to have different definitions of like what's what's missing data, for example, what's validity. And it, ultimately, those things were not scalable. And it was clear that the data engineer was very much in the driver's seat. You know, they were having to solve the problems. Like the business was kind of knocking on the door saying, hey, this is all wrong. Run this query for me. Do this. Then uh, they don't know what's, what's, what's happening. Show me those failed rows. And I think that was like, it became a total no-brainer for me, at least at that time. I was like, this is core. This is something that everyone just, it's going to become a, an, a, a standard practice just like TDD uh, a long time ago, 20 years ago. Like why, you know, there's no point in having anything proprietary around validating and testing data. So that was uh, my two cents on, uh, on that decision. And to be honest, I'm super, super, super happy because as Tom said, it's not about ultimately the, you know, what you calculate or what you test or what, how you validate data. It's about like, now we have alerts. Okay. How are we going to prioritize these? 
like who's gonna do what how are we gonna follow up and track this how we're gonna like that's the organizational piece to it and that's where we think our, our business model lies that's awesome yeah I, I i can definitely see that so so i already asked about you know what's coming in like the client side and stuff are there any new features in your SaaS solution that our audience should keep their eyes out for oh yes <laughs> so in, in, in like this automated monitoring feature right is that's predominantly going to be cloud simply because it's all the it's all the the time series that we need for that it's a way to collect and connect to that data that one's coming in a, in a couple of months and it's going to be just like you go into the app all right i want to check for example or i'm going to onboard this snowflake or this postgres Click, click, click. Verifying that we understood like timing as well, that we that we got it right based on what we saw on the data, and then you click go, and pretty much from the the minute after or five minutes after, we'll get our first query log. We'll figure out uh, timeliness. We'll we'll start w uh, giving you Slack alerts, and that's something I think is uh, is super cool because it's you don't have to do anything really. You, you know, you just set it up, connect it, and and you get value. That that I'm I'm super excited about that that release. To be honest, if I can add one, my favorite feature that's uh, coming out is the self-service monitor creation. So that is we talked a lot about the engineers that are able to do their testing, right? But actually, there's a lot of domain knowledge into the analysts and subject matter experts, and usually there's a problem because and a bottleneck because. Uh, they need uh, engineers to actually get those things implemented. And that's where the thing breaks down. And now all of this knowledge is not validated. And the way we want to unlock that is by making sure that based on the same underlying language, the, the same YAML language that we use, we then have like a three-step, very simple wizard where we let users select their data, select their uh, metric and their thresholds where you graphically can see the red or like the warnings, the critical zones on the historic data of that metric so that they can get up a picture of a very easy flow on how to build their own monitors. And so the, the main story is then we can unlock all that not domain knowledge of these people so that that all participates in monitoring the the data product even more important uh, they won't have to send a, or create a ticket anymore we won't have to bother the engineer anymore they can just do it themselves yes, that's exactly that i like that <laughs> it's all about self-service and low or no code a great trend if you ask me in the industry so so th this is this is your all's chance to to kind of hype up soda to to our listeners. Is is there is there a community out there that that our folks should should get involved with? Totally. So basically, we have the Slack channel is I think one of our the newest things that we've that we've set up to to kind of manage and and interact with the community. So it's a it's a place where if you go on our website, for example, you go to community in the top right Slack, you immediately get to get in there. And there's uh, channels for sort of SQL, clouds, and then soon for all the, uh, the other open source projects that we've talked about. And we do like our product releases, information go to there. Like it's, it's a nice place for people to get started, get stuck, ask questions. It's, I think that's definitely one of, the, uh, one of the key areas. But if we say broader hyping it up, well, we're, we're, doing, we're doing Soda Live very soon. It's our first own event that we're hosting, which is like it's a two and a half hour event with loads of leaders in data. 
from very cool kind of uh, cloud and digital native companies. I think that's, I would definitely recommend people uh, to, to sign up for that as well on sodalive.io uh, or just via our website. So there's there's loads of ways to get involved or go to SodaSQL and, and do a, check out the code and maybe open an issue, ticket. Maybe you see something you don't like or you have a question. Like anyway is a, is a great way to interact with us. So if Soda's hiring, what are you guys looking for? Developers, what are, what are you what are you trying to get target right now? Yeah, from the engineering perspective, we're looking at developer advocates. We're looking at Python and the broader data engineers having experience and having affinity with the problem because we we meet a lot of engineers and those are are great that have an affinity with the problem because they've built a couple of pipelines, they've used some of the testing libraries, and they know that like if if that's your background and that's kind of what gets you excited, definitely talk to us as well as like DevOps and other general software engineers. I think you have what is it eight or nine open <laughs> posts, uh, Tom? And uh, we're we're not hiring like for example on the go to market side, we're not really heavily hiring there just yet. We're just really focused on on building an amazing product, and we do have a couple of open things in like uh, the growth team, but nothing major there. Just for our European audience, the all of your openings are in Europe. Well, we're fully remote. We optimize a bit for time zone, but for the rest, like it's totally remote. Yeah, it says all Europe, but actually, I think we're we're gonna extend it to both Europe and uh, and and the US. We're like we've we've gone through the trouble of of being able to set up shop in a lot of the European countries already, so we can also directly contract as or like we can have direct employees in each of those countries, which I think is is nice. But then also contractors, like we're very flexible from that perspective. It's a remote first. That's great, fantastic. So I really appreciate your guys' time today. It, this has been a fantastic conversation, and I hope we can get you back on if uh, there are any big, huge developments with Soda. Will do. Thanks so much for having me. Had a blast. Fun. Yeah, definitely. You both will have to stay in touch, and we'll, of course, for all of you, have links to Soda, the team, and how you can get in touch with them in the show notes. I just want to echo what Brandon said. Thank you guys so much for for coming on the show, for for chatting with us. I know Brandon's been pretty excited to play with with Soda. After after about the third or fourth instant message back and forth, it was over my head, but that's that's why Brandon and I work together. So <laughs> awesome, Eric, Brandon, thank you so much, and have a good rest of your day as well. Get a great time. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to sudo.show slash discuss. If you'd like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over at sudo.show and on social media at sudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network mothership, destinationlinux.network. Don't forget to start by sudo.show slash swag for all of our new hats, cups, mugs, and beanies. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on itguyeric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time.